This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Well, after Paul saved, what happens? Does all of a sudden everything work out for him and he knows instantly everything that we know in the Bible now and study in the Scripture? No, he had to learn the same way that we learn. He learned little by little. And he struggled with some of the same things, some of the same temptations, some of the same fleshly desires that you and I do. He was just as human as us. And he describes his growing experience in chapter 7. Notice beginning in verse 14. Paul said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, when he calls himself carnal, he's saved. He's talking about the position that he was in after he was born again. And and here's the struggle that he has. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. I'm sorry for the poor translation. You can get it, but it doesn't jump out at you. That which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. In other words, he's saying, I can't control my flesh. The things that I, the man on the inside, wants to do are not the things that my body winds up doing. And the things that my body does are the things that the man on the inside despises. I, can't, I don't have control here. I want to control myself. I don't want to do the wrong thing. But though the wrong thing is what I catch myself doing. Well, what's the conclusion that he comes to? And folks, this is the key. He comes to an understanding. He comes to an understanding of reality. In other words, the Holy Ghost bears witness with his spirit to cause him to understand how things really are. He concludes this, he said in verse 16, if then I do that which I would not. Now the eyes uh, of the translators are a little difficult here. The eyes, really the eyes, the man on the inside. When he talks about the things that he's doing, he's talking about his flesh. And he makes that distinction. He says, for if I do that which I from the inside would not, I from the heart consent unto the law that it's good. In other words, he's saying, I've identified that the man on the inside always wants to do the right thing. Even when the man on the outside is doing the wrong thing, the man on the inside wants to do right. Now then, verse 17, it is no more I that that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Notice the distinction he makes. He makes the distinction between, and the first indication we have that uh, Paul's understanding about spiritual things. First indication we have of Paul's understanding about man being spirit, soul, and body. He finds out the same way we do, only we have a much greater advantage. We can take advantage of his learning. So he's making a distinction. He's realizing something. He's saying there's a man on the inside that always wants to do right. And if the behavior of my flesh goes against what the man on the inside wants, it's not the man on the inside that's doing it. So what does he conclude? It's no more I that does it. It's not me. It's not the man on the inside that's really doing these things. It's my flesh that I haven't learned to dominate. And that's what he concludes. It's not me. Me is the one on the inside that always wants to do right. Again, verse 17. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh. Notice the translators are kind of weak when it talks about I in me. You have to look at the context to see if he's talking about the man on the inside or his flesh. He said, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me. The desire and the will to do right is inside me and is always there. 
But how to perform that which is good, I find not. In other words, he's saying, I haven't discovered the key or the secret to overcoming the temptations of my flesh. I on the inside want to do right, but I haven't found the key. Now, folks, is that not the condition of most of the church world? Well, Paul said that was the condition that he described as being carnal or body ruled. Now, why does he call it body ruled? Because he hasn't found the way yet. At that point in time, he hasn't found the way to conquer or dominate his flesh with his spirit. So then what is a spiritual man or a woman? One who controls their flesh through their spirit. What is a carnal Christian? A carnal Christian is one whose body still rules, even though they've been made righteous in the name of Jesus. What does Paul find out? Paul finds out a couple of things. He finds out that there's no power in his flesh to overcome it. It's not a matter of just strength of will. But he has to come to the knowledge of something, a specific knowledge that's going to set him free. What is that? Uh, Well, let's skip down to verse 25 and then we'll go into chapter 8. I thank God through Jesus Christ. No, I better start in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. In other words, what a terrible situation that I'm in. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who shall deliver me, the man on the inside, from this body, this flesh, where sin is present? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, here's the answer. I found that Jesus is the answer. Paul is saying there's only one means of deliverance, and that's through Jesus. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. Now, the mind is poorly translated. He's talking about from my spirit. I'm serving the law of God, doing what's right. But with the flesh, sin is still dominating. So how does God deliver? How does Jesus deliver? Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore. Everybody say therefore. There is therefore. Now, Paul has brought, brought uh, himself and us to a conclusion. He's saying that... Through the things that I've learned, we've come to a conclusion. And that conclusion is very simply this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, some people say, Pastor Mike, you didn't read the rest of the verse. I did read the rest of the verse. I read the whole of the verse. The translators took something out of verse 4 and put it in verse 1. Don't take my word for it. Research it for yourself. The translators took the phrase, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, out of verse 4 and applied it to verse 1. Now, I can only speculate why they did that. Because if the way that it was written, the way the text is originally written, Paul is saying, even though I'm having trouble and stumbling and over the, the desires of my flesh and doing things that my heart condemns me for, Even though I cannot control my flesh, even though I'm committing sin, there is therefore now no condemnation to me. That must have been too much for the translators to accept because they went out of their way to pull a phrase out of a a later verse and insert it in verse 1. It's almost like they read that and said, oh, God can't be that good. But he is. Paul is saying, in the midst of me stumbling over my flesh, there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. Well, then where does condemnation come from? It comes from the devil bringing it to you. 
The devil gives you, the devil doesn't even condemn you. The devil just brings you the thought and gets you to condemn yourself. Now, what is condemnation? Condemnation is the idea and the thought and the, the, the principle that I'm too unworthy for God's goodness. I don't deserve what God did for me. I can't really receive what the Bible says is mine because I'm not worthy. That's the purpose for condemnation. That's why the devil wants to tell you you're not who the Bible says you are. He's trying to rob something from you. He's trying to rob you of the blessings of God. He's trying to rob you of what Jesus paid for. Because he knows what Jesus paid for and he knows God doesn't hold anything against you even if you're stumbling over your flesh. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, see people always want to bring the extremes and use those as examples. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, what about the people that want to do wrong? Well, what do you mean by that? Their flesh wants to do wrong? But whose flesh doesn't? Folks, you don't get spiritual enough to where your flesh stops wanting to do wrong. That's not what spiritual development is. You're always going to have trouble with the flesh for as long as you've got a flesh. That won't change until Jesus comes back and we get our redeemed bodies. Won't that be a wonderful thing? But until then, it's always the same issue. It's always the same situation. From the inside, we want to do right. Yeah, but I've, what about the people that have walked away from God and, and served the devil so long, even as Christians, lived wrong so that their conscience doesn't even bother them anymore, so that they don't even want to do right from the inside? If they're still saved, if the love of God is on the inside of them, they always want to do right. They may have pushed it down. They may have covered it over trying to escape the knowledge on the inside of them. But it's, if they're still in the family of God, that's still there. So Paul comes to the revelation of something that sets him free. Folks, please understand, it's the knowledge of the word of God that he's now giving to us and preaching to us by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that brought freedom. The word revealed brought him freedom over his flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Why not? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross, and on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. What's the revelation Paul got? Two things. Number one, God's not mad at me even when I stumble and fall over the desires of my flesh. And number two, I've already been set free. Paul was looking for the same thing that most Christians are looking for now, for God to do something that hasn't yet been done to provide freedom or deliverance or victory for them in some means 
or some form. Paul came to the realization, I'm already free. I'm in Christ Jesus. There's not a second work to be done. I'm in Christ Jesus, so I'm already free. Step one, for Paul coming to understand how to dominate his flesh is the realization that he's already free. Right on the heels of that, God's not mad at me. God understands my struggle. Turn with me to John chapter 8 real quick. Now, John chapter 8, I love the 8th chapter of John. I wish I could read the whole thing, but for time's sake, we, we can't do it. If you started in about verse 12, the first part of the chapter is uh, Jesus dealing with the woman taken in adultery. He doesn't condemn her. But then starting at about verse 12, Jesus starts talking about the light of the world. From verse 12 through about verse uh, 29 is a great example. Again, like I said, I wish we had time to go through it. Is a great example of two different schools of thought or two different approaches, two different points of view. A spiritual man's point of view and a natural man's point of view. Because he's talking to the Jews, he's talking to the council members, the Pharisees, and those that have come out to him. um, More to find out what's going on rather than to really hear from him. And he says some things to them, and he says they cannot receive the things of God. They cannot know where he came from. They cannot understand why he was sent and so forth. But then he tells them over and over again, I'm sent from my father. They finally asked him, they said, well, who are you claiming to be? He said, I'm telling you, I told you from the beginning who I was. Well, what's the first thing we have recorded that Jesus ever preached? Messiah scriptures. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and so forth. Those are scriptures that were pertaining to, and everybody understood those are scriptures that pertain to the Messiah. Jesus after preaching on those scriptures or reading those scriptures, he said, this day is these, are these scriptures fulfilled in your ears. In other words, these are talking about me. So from the beginning, he didn't hide who he was. The idea that Jesus went through the, his three years of earthly ministry and never really let people know, never was really upfront with them about who he was and, and tried to keep it hidden and stuff, that's just not true. Jesus told everybody, this is who I am. That's up to them to accept it or reject it, but Jesus was real clear about it. Real clear about it. He didn't go around saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. But there weren't many opportunities that he missed to say, this is what the scripture said about me. And those were always messianic scriptures. So it shows why they could not receive. Now, why couldn't they receive? There's a verse of scripture in Mark chapter 7 and verse 13 that's really important, real interesting. Uh, Make a note of it. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus said, just talking about some things. And Jesus said, uh, well, specifically, he's talking about how the, the Jews had changed the law of God that says, honor your father and mother. But you say, if you give a gift, then you can get out of honoring your mother and father. And then he said this, Mark seven thirteen. he said, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. Now, that's a real interesting thing for Jesus to say, because Jesus is the one that told us how powerful the word of God is. Folks, you need to realize the whole universe was created by the word of God. That means the word of God is greater and stronger than anything you can see, anything you can feel. It's greater and stronger than anything else that exists. Except one thing. One thing can nullify it. 
And Jesus said that they made the word of God of none effect or without power through their tradition. Now, the word tradition is interesting because it literally means preconceived notion or reasonings. Now, the reason the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God and the reason carnal Christians refuse to accept some of the truths of the Bible is for one and only one reason, and that is they already have preset ideas. It may be through wrong teaching in church. It may be something that he came up on, the, on their own. It could be any, from any number of sources, but it's always the same thing, and that is a preconceived or a predetermined idea that they've got that keeps them from accepting what God said is true. Some people have a preconceived notion that God sends sickness upon people to teach them. So no matter how many scriptures you show them that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you're healed, they're not going to receive. Why? They can't because they've accepted their own preconceived ideas and the truth of the word can't break through that. Why? Because God is subject to your will in operating in your life. Now, wouldn't it be nice if the word of God was quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword in such a manner that whenever the word is preached and everybody's wrong idea vanished? Wouldn't that be cool? Doesn't work that way, though, does it? Sometimes it takes a period of time, days, weeks, months, sometimes even years of meditating on the scripture and finally chipping away little by little by little. Those wrong ideas vanish away are dislodged this is what paul wrote to the church and told us to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of christ in other words he says pull down the wrong thoughts that contradict the kingdom of god and the things pertaining to the word and get rid of those and replace those with thinking what god's word says that's a process we saw the beginning of that process for paul when he was a baby christian or a young christian what he called a carnal Christian. Notice what Jesus says after he tells the the Jews these things about himself. Notice it says in verse uh, 30. Well, let me back up to verse 29 and get the tail end of what he said. John 8, 29, I'm sorry. I'll get it out. John 8, 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please him. Now notice verse 30, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Now, we have to assume that the many is the Jews, not just the the congregation. We don't know what kind of congregation it was. What we do know is that the Jewish leaders were the ones around Jesus, and those were the, the ones that he was talking to in the preceding verses back to verse 12. So the many has to mean members of the council, Pharisees. As he spake these words, many believed on him. I don't know how many he is, but it sounds like more than just a couple. As he spake these words, many of them, many believed on him. Notice verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews that believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews that believed on him. Please notice he's talking to the ones that now believe. Jesus didn't stop and say, how many will confess me as their Lord and Savior? He hadn't been to the cross yet, so that wouldn't work. But believing on him is as close to believing in the Messiah, is as close to getting uh, in line for the blessing of salvation when Jesus is raised from the dead as you could possibly get. They're in the same condition, same situation, same category as the apostles. 
And notice what Jesus said to the ones that believed on him. Not the ones that were rejecting him. The ones that believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews that believed on him. If. Everybody say if. If you continue in my word. Then are you my disciples indeed. Please notice that Jesus makes a very specific distinction. Between believers and disciples. Now here's where the church is messed up. Because the great commission is not go out into the world and get people saved. It's not go into the world and make believers of the unsaved. Jesus said that the Great Commission was going to all the world and make disciples of all men. What does it take, according to Jesus, to change somebody from being a believer to a disciple? The Word. Now, doesn't it take the Word? I mean, aren't they believing the Word to become a believer to begin with? Yeah. But a disciple continues in the word. A disciple goes past just the word of God that convinces them that Jesus is who he says he is. A disciple continues in the word. Now, folks, I know I'm asking questions that can't really be answered. But what percentage of the modern day church world do you consider to be disciples according to Jesus' definition? That's a depressing thought, isn't it? I'm glad God doesn't get depressed. Jesus then said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. The continuation of the word, the living in the word of God for the believer is the necessary ingredient for him to become a disciple, which we all should aspire to be. What's the result of following in the word? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, folks, please understand, we've got to put other scriptures together with this and clarify knowing the truth. He didn't say, and you'll hear the truth. Knowing the truth implies an acceptance, a receiving of the truth, a keeping of the truth, a doing of the truth. Because James 1.22 says, but be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He didn't say the word of God, continuing in the word of God will cause you to hear the truth. He said the word of God will cause you to know the truth. Again, that implies something beyond just hearing with the natural ear. It brings us to the, to the thought of Paul coming to the understanding in his carnal condition that he's already been set free by the life of, spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now all he has to do is walk it out. Notice the difference between believers and disciples. Believers are made new creatures in Christ Jesus. But are believers going to be spiritual men or carnal men? For the most part, carnal men. We have that shown to us through Paul's example. If Paul, who turned out to be perhaps in some sense the greatest of the apostles, started off as a carnal Christian, Where do we expect the rest of us going to start off? What was the thing that made the difference in Paul's carnal Christian condition to to becoming a spiritual man? Could it be anything other than the revelation of God's word? Same thing is true for you and me. Folks, the word of God is key spiritual growth, spiritual development, to living up to be the man or the woman 
in Christ Jesus that God intends for you to be. It all comes down to one thing, and that's the word. Pastor Mike, all you do is talk about the word. Thank God you realize that. Because <laughs> that's the only thing that's, that's the key. That is the only key that there is. And you shall know the truth. How? If you continue in my word. And the truth, the knowledge of that truth acted on will make you free. What does that mean? What does he mean talking to believers about being free? Now, they argue. The Jews start arguing. They say, well, we're not bound by anything. That's the way a lot of Christians are that are bound by everything. We're not bound by anything. When he talks about being made free, he's talking about the freedom in every area and every aspect of life that the victory of Jesus won on the cross and through his resurrection purchased for you and me. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over poverty, victory over depression, victory over circumstance, victory over everything in life. More than conquerors through him that loved us. Every aspect, every area of life, total and complete freedom. Doesn't mean there won't be challenges. Don't mean there won't be temporary setbacks. But the result is freedom. Doesn't mean you float through life on flowery beds of ease. There'll be challenges. There'll be times for you to exercise your faith. There'll be fights of faith that you have to fight. But the end result is always victory. That's what Jesus says comes through continuing in the word and the knowledge that it brings you. And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Folks, you need to understand something about your heavenly father. That is, he has a mortal enemy. His name is Satan. And there is no way under no circumstances, under no stretch of the imagination, would God ever put his children down here on the earth subject to whatever the devil wanted to do at his whim and desire without giving his children the power to stomp the devil's head. If we only knew the power in the name of Jesus, if we could only see for just a moment, if we just got a glimpse of the power, the unlimited power that God has made available to us through the life of God within us to overcome anything and everything that there is of the enemy. God's sitting in heaven saying, go boy, you've got what you need. I gave you an advantage. Do you realize what an advantage you have over the unsaved? Bless their darling hearts. But God in heaven has to sit back and watch his children say, I don't know why things aren't working out. God, why'd you do this to me? That's not the way he set things up. He set it up so that you would be more than a conqueror to him that loved us. That means never lose, folks. Now, however you interpret it, however you want to live it out in your own life, that's up to you. But it means never lose. Again, it doesn't mean you won't have challenges. It doesn't mean there won't be setbacks. But the ultimate end of the, of the, the contest is your victory in every aspect. And that comes one and only one way, and that's through the knowledge of the Word. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost will guide us into all truth. The Bible also tells us that we've been made more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. That means the Holy Ghost will always guide us into victory. Thanks for watching today. 
Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. The believer, my sheep, in other words, the person that develops his spirit to be led by the Holy Ghost, is the one that knows on the inside of him what God is directing him to do. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.